let's do it again. So, I got to hear that twice, man, all fired up. So, awesome. God is good. And all the time. Let us pray. Lord, gracious, awesome God, man, what joy and enthusiasm we come before you. What celebration we have that you haven't failed us yet, Lord, and we're not planning on it. But uh, help us to step out of the way. Help me to step out of the way that you do your work and your power uh, in the midst of all that's taking place. Lord, thank you for the joys of baptism and singing and songs and music and scripture and prayers that just inspire us, that convict us, that uh, draw us closer to you. So, Lord, uh, just, uh, again, set my voice aside. May your voice be heard clearly. May our hearts be open to your word for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. March Madness. Anybody been watching the men's college basketball tournament? Anybody have any teams left in your bracket? It's been the craziest year ever. I think it's been, or in reading up on it, no final, no number ones in the final four. It's only happened three times in the last 43 years. Upsets galore. What we thought would happen, could happen, should happen, has been thrown out the window. And I guess we might as well throw out our brackets with it, too. It seems March Madness highlights our journey this Lenten season through the book of John. This man, this man named Jesus, a, a teacher to the people, but much more like the common folks than the hierarchical religious authority of the time. For Jesus was homeless. He was poor. He was itinerant. He's been disrupting this hierarchical certainty that maintained order in the community. He was performing miracles. He was healing people. Isn't that the work of a priest? They are the ones that enact the work of God. If common folks, someone like Jesus does this, then the priests might as well throw out their books or at least their interpretation of what they know. It's maddening for them to see what Jesus is doing. Is it for us, too? Is it for you? And you know what? The established community, this established religions, religious authority, misses the very thing that they are complaining about. Look at last week the healing of the blind man, and they ignore it. And this week, in this story of Lazarus and the raising of a man from the dead, instead of recognizing the action of God and celebrating it, they try to dismiss it, distract from it, and draw over it. You know, I appreciate the coaches of higher-ranked teams, or lower-ranked, I guess, in the sense, teams, that offer words of encouragement to those teams that have upset them. But the reality is we know in their words and their actions if they are being sincere. This so-called knowledgeable religious authority still has a lot to learn. Perhaps. No, I think we do. 
have a lot to learn also. So what might we learn this morning from this story of Lazarus that we've heard before? I invite you to turn to our scripture today from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Now I know it's a long passage this morning, and so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it and refer to specific verses along the way. So I hope that you'll take your Bibles or a few Bibles online. I hope that you'll take your Bibles, your devices, and follow the scripture and listen as I share a few words and then draw your attention to specific verses. So who's sick in this passage before us this morning? Lazarus is sick. And who are his sisters? Mary and Martha. Mary's the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped them with their hair. And where are they from? They're from Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem. The sisters send word to Jesus. And look at verse 4 to what is said. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus loved this family. But how many days did he decide to stay where he was? Two more days where he was and then go to Judea. But this was dangerous because the people wanted to kill him. The disciples thought Lazarus might be asleep, but Jesus knew he was dead. Then Thomas, one of the disciples, said this to the rest of the disciples. And look at verse 16. Let us also go that we may die with him. And then in verse 17, how many days was Lazarus in the tomb? Four days. Martha greets Jesus before he gets there. She said he would not have died had Jesus been there. Jesus says Lazarus will rise again. And then look with me in verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And what did Martha say in verse 27? Yes, yes. I believe you are the Messiah. Mary joined them and wept. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? He wept. They went to the tomb of Lazarus and removed the stone. And then look at the last verses there beginning in verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you that you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And what did Jesus say to him, to them? Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. This story of Lazarus is vital to John's approach to Lent. We find out that immediately after raising from the dead, it seems these religious authorities are having some kind of clandestine meeting consisting of the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're mad. They're upset. 
Things aren't going to their plan. They seem to be losing control. It seems, too, that this story in Lent serves up additional foreboding of the coming death of Jesus by his own people and even by the Roman government. There's something radical happening here. There's a conspiracy that's being formed to kill Jesus, and it's unfolding. What should be considered a miracle worth rejoicing and celebrating is now received as a threat from the powers that be. Is it possible? Is it possible that when Jesus enacted this miracle, he was trying to undermine the religious authority? Jesus completely upended the sense of what was possible. What might happen? What should happen? For the witnesses and for those who heard about Lazarus' own resurrection. How about you? Do you like things to be disrupted when you expect them to turn out a certain way? What happens to you when you plan on something going one way and it begins to happen a whole other way and you find yourself losing control? Disrupting our sense of how things work in the world can unravel our sense of place and purpose in the community. For Jesus to enact a resurrection miracle is massive. Up to this point in Scripture, only Elijah and Elisha have resurrected anyone from the dead. This reveals that maybe it's not status or place that enables something miraculous to happen. Perhaps... Perhaps it's something different. When we cling to certainty, we neglect to be curious about that which is right in front of us. Even if what is in front of us can save us from this sludge in which we are stuck. And even if letting go of that certainty would liberate us from what we are capable of doing and who we are capable of being. Sometimes the things we think offer us love actually bind us. Sometimes the things we think offer love actually bind us, preventing us from being whole and offering our best love to the world. Perhaps the problem lies in making certainty about God more important than feeling wonder and marveling in the miracles and activity that he's doing. What did the high priest do when they heard what Jesus was doing? Ignore the miracle and they're going to enforce the law. Enforcement's not a word that really attributes itself to love. The way to glory for Jesus is through the cross. Going to Bethany, going back to Judea where he has been, was walking into hostile territory. They wanted to kill him the last time he was there. So Jesus knew by going back to Bethany, he was setting in motion those things that would lead to his crucifixion. Jesus clearly knew the cost of helping Lazarus. And you know what? He was still willing to pay it. He was still willing to pay it. 
In the psalm that was read earlier, the psalmist refers to waiting for the Lord as almost an act of curiosity. I believe, too, though, as we wait for the Lord, we must have courage. For our third week, we have a conversation between Jesus and others that's misunderstood. A few weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus. Remember, he misunderstood what Jesus meant about being born again. Two weeks ago, we talked about the woman at the well, and she misunderstood what Jesus was talking about as living water. Today, it seems the disciples think Jesus is sleeping and that he'll wake up. Finally, Jesus just gets to the point. He's dead. And let us go to him. Again, in verse 16, what does Thomas say? If you've got your scripture, look at it. What does Thomas say in verse 16? Let us also go, that we might die with him. Christ heading back to Jerusalem will result almost in his certain death. Thomas's view, instead of saying, dude, I am out of here, he says, let's go. Let's go with him. No greater example to lay one's life down for another. In other words, courage is about action. It's easy to do something we're not afraid of. Courage is being aware of what can happen. Maybe even being afraid of it and willing to do it the right thing anyway. When it's not about us, when, it, when we're not focused on preservation of our own life, courage takes over and God is glorified. We can do that. We can do that when we have a strong belief in God's strong ability and recognize his action right before us, his action around us, and yes, sometimes his action even inside of us. Christ shows us the way. And sometimes that way is difficult. It sure was for him during this season. But with Christ, we're not on our way to death. We're on our way to life. With Christ, we're not on our way to death. We're on our way to life. With Christ, we're not on our way to death. We're on our way to life. A life that's not about me or about what I'm thinking or what I think should happen. But recognizing God's way and God's glory. And when we do, we're freed. We're freed from the fear. We're freed from the unknown. Because we have our faith to lean upon. Maybe you and I would experience more wonders of God if we would be more willing to embrace God's activity around us and share his love that is found inside of each of us. This metaphor of Lazarus offers us a metaphor of new life as we recognize the true love that we, as we recognize that true love is that which unbinds us that wants for us more and not less 
freedom, and life. So let us, let us shed our funeral clothes as we heard at the beginning of the service. Let us shed our funeral clothes and offer our deepest self, our deepest love for the world while we still have a chance. And it's our Easter faith that says this is possible. It's our Easter faith that allows us to do it. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.